Hello and welcome to episode 201 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Today we're in the southeast of England in Sussex for a really strange case. As always, let me begin by thanking my Patreon supporters, especially the new members of this exclusive club. That is Pete Murphy, Rachel Houston, Sheila Morris, Melissa Rogers, Mark Simpson, Amanda Farley and Ginge Truman. Thank you all so much for keeping me producing a weekly show. It is so much appreciated. And you will get the first option for tickets to... Oops, I'm not allowed to reveal the secret news for a few more days. Watch this space. I'm delighted this podcast is again sponsored by BetterHelp. 2020 has been a tough year for us all, and many of us are struggling in certain parts of our lives. For me, it's been finding the right balance of spending time at work and with family and worrying I'm failing in both. Whatever is interfering with your happiness, better help or assess your needs, and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. Let's be clear, it's not self-help. It's professional counselling in a safe and private online environment. No more sitting in unwelcoming waiting rooms, and you don't want to wait around once you've made the decision to go ahead, so you can start tomorrow, and schedule weekly phone or video sessions and contact your counsellor at any time. What's more, it's more affordable than traditional offline counselling and it's available worldwide. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash UK. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash UK. So you ready for the guest of month and year competition for when these events took place? Here we go. In the UK, this charts, number one was Matt Cardle with When We Collide. Yeah, yeah, we both know it's in your collection. In the US, it was Bruno Mars with Grenade. And the top album in Australia was Pink with The Story So Far. In the news this month, in the errors, Adrian Lewis of England won his first PDC World Darts Championship with a 7-5 win over Scotsman Gary Anderson at the Ali Pali in London. The attempted assassination of Arizona Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords and the subsequent shooting at a Safeway grocery store killed six people and wounded 13. Wikipedia, that vital tool for some true crime podcasters, turned 10 years old. The film The King's Speech, with Colin Firth playing the role of the stuttering George VI, was released in the UK. Fun fact, the scenes featuring Wembley Stadium were actually filmed at the true home of global football and the mighty Leeds United, Ellen Road. And in true crime news, former Member of Parliament David Chater was jailed for 18 months for fraudulently claiming more than £20,000 in expenses. Did you get the month and year? It was January 2011. Gary Hampson was on the surface a typical 42-year-old man. He left Merseyside, where he had grown up in the 1990s, to start a new life in the southeast of England in Sussex. He married his girlfriend Kelly, but still kept in contact with his old mates back in Liverpool. Kelly often wondered about the large amounts of cash that were hidden around the house. It made her nervous, and she wasn't sure why it was there. But she didn't really want to know the answer she feared what she may hear. 
and so she decided not to delve into this any further. Gary and Kelly's relationship began to deteriorate, and by 2003, they separated. But with a young daughter, they agreed that whatever their differences, they wanted to be fantastic parents to their daughter, who was still only very young, and needed them both. Gary divided his time between seeing his daughter in Sussex and driving back to Liverpool on a regular basis. This involved some pretty long hours on the motorways, but he adored his daughter. Like me in many ways, Gary was great company with a top sense of humour. He was very well liked both in the Brighton area and back home, but Gary was no stranger to trouble, and he had a history of getting involved with drugs, dealing drugs, and all the issues that that caused. If we forward wine to 2011, Gary and Kelly had been separated for eight years now, and their daughter was nine years old. Gary was now seeing his daughter three times a week, and he often picked her up from school to take her back home to her mum. His daughter loved Daddy Cuddles and Gary's funny voices he did to make her laugh. And on Thursday the 6th of January 2011, he did just that. He picked up his daughter from a Brighton school and dropped her straight home to her mummy's house. He said he was going to Liverpool the next day to see some old friends and family, but would be back in a couple of days to see his daughter as arranged. And anyway, at this time, Gary couldn't be away from Sussex for too long as he had a car business to run, Cop Cars Body Shop, which was a car repair shop, in Little Western Street, which he ran with business partner, Dan Alexander. As he pulled away from Kelly's house, waving on that normal January day, she could never have believed that it was the last time that her daughter would see her daddy. When Gary didn't turn up on the 8th of January as arranged, Kelly began to worry. It was so out of character for Gary, as he always stuck to his set plans. She texted a few people to see if they'd heard from him, but it seemed that nobody had heard from him or knew where he was. Highly unusual. She asked his business partner Dan if he'd heard from Gary, but all he said that Gary had gone to Liverpool and people had been hassling him, calling the business saying that Gary owed them money. Kelly was very worried by now, and four days after she last saw Gary, she reported him missing to police. After some initial inquiries, the police didn't take his disappearance too seriously. He was just another missing person. But by April, Gary had been missing for three months. The police weren't still paying too much attention, even though Gary had not used his bank card since the 6th of January, and his phone had been turned off since the 9th of January and had never been turned back on. His records showed that Gary received a mobile phone call on January the 8th at 11.10am, and that was the last call he received. It did show, however, that he'd been at the garage he part-owned on January the 8th, so he had come back from Merseyside to Sussex. But what had happened to him from then? What Kelly didn't realise was that Gary and his business partner Dan Alexander's relationship had deteriorated significantly. It was perhaps Dan who'd called police anonymously the previous year to tell them that Gary was in some serious debt and had taken to drug dealing from his home in Sussex. Kelly had suspicions about the money around the house, and she also knew that he'd spent some time in prison, for they described her as a minor misdemeanour. You know, these things happen when you're young. It was nothing of importance. But what she didn't know 
was that Gary had gone to prison for dealing in heroin. So who was this Dan Alexander? He was a former mechanic who too was not unfamiliar with the inside of a jail cell, having six convictions for 19 offences, including a robbery at a petrol station in 2005, where he threatened to set fire to the petrol station if the cashier did not hand over the contents of the till. He was estranged from his only surviving child, with his other son dying in the Rwandan genocide and another daughter dying in 2010. When in prison, Dan struck up a relationship with a lady called Linda Rosenberg by post, and it led to a relationship upon their subsequent releases in 2010 when the pair settled in Sussex. Like many others that you and I both know, the thing that Dan most liked in the world was money, particularly spending money he had not worked to earn. After hearing that Linda had £46,000 in savings that she was planning to use to retire, Dan immediately took an interest in helping her to spend it. And by the end of 2010, the money had all gone on drugs. It's hard to exaggerate just how quickly a serious drug addiction can burn through all of your cash and the money that belongs to your family and friends. But despite this, Linda still loved him and she was incredibly loyal to Dan. Having been estranged from her own twin children, she welcomed the attention that she got from Dan despite the way he treated her and clearly abused her financially. It transpired that after Gary's disappearance, Dan had sold every valuable item from the garage. He also had a unique take on customer service as he pocketed all the customer's money he could get hold of, sold off their cars and then went on to commit a series of robberies. In fact, he robbed two off-licenses in Brighton, in Norfolk Square and Chichester Place, with a man being injured in the second robbery. This brought him to the attention of detectives, who then started paying more attention to the disappearance of his business partner Gary. Especially when an anonymous informant told police in late March 2011 that Dan had told her that he'd killed Gary and he'd overheard two men speaking together about getting rid of the body. On the 6th of April 2011, police searched Gary's old car repair shop. Although on the outside it was clean and it had been clearly repainted in areas, blood was found. And further analysis showed patches of Gary's blood in the company office, on the wall, door and window, and on a desk which was found dismantled. It was clear that Gary had faced violence here, and the investigation quickly turned from a disappearance to a murder inquiry. Following further information being passed to detectives, 48-year-old Alan Topping was arrested on suspicion of murder shortly afterwards, followed by Dan's partner, Linda. A few days later, they were released on bail, and a manhunt was underway for Dan Alexander and another man suspected of involvement in Gary's disappearance, 57-year-old Roy Bartup. Roy Bartup was a street drug dealer who rumour had it carried a heavy ornamental egg in his cock. <laughs> sorry, sorry, a sock. He carried a heavy ornamental egg in his sock as a homemade weapon for protection. After becoming homeless in 2010, he lived with Dan and Linda. He was seen drug dealing from the cop car's premises from the middle of January and it was clear that he had done so with the permission of Dan Alexander. 
By the 9th of May, detectives reached a conclusion that Gary had been killed and his body buried. What followed was intensive searching of 17 sites, including ponds, fields and streams, looking for Gary's body. These searches started in the Brighton area, but then extended further afield into Surrey, and there were appeals for owners of any cars that got into Gary's workshop for repair to come forward, with a special appeal for a red Ford Mondeo that was seen at the garage during January. Officers searched a number of properties around Brighton and Hove, and extensive inquiries were made amongst family, friends and acquaintances, but still Gary's body wasn't found. Then on the 11th of May, Daniel Alexander was charged with murder, and Roy Bartop was charged with conspiring to pervert the course of justice. However, both denied any involvement, and detectives needed more people to come forward with information. To spur people on, in June 2011, a letter was released by detectives investigating the murder from Gary's little girl coming up to Father's Day, the first one they'd spent apart. In it, she detailed what she would do if her dad Gary came back for just five minutes. I love you to Care Bear World and back, she said. I wish my nightmares would go away. I wish somebody would help me find you. Again, police appealed for information about what had happened to Gary. Someone out there knew something. And then a potential break. CCTV and police cameras recorded a Renault Megane on January the 21st, leaving Brighton on the A23, and an hour later, it was at the junction of the A29 and A281 on the border of Sussex and Surrey. Gary's blood was found in this car when it was recovered. It had been a customer's car, The blood was in the boot, the panels and the liner, and some was on the back seat. But this wasn't enough, and by September 2011, frustrated detectives called off searches to locate Gary's body. The officer leading the case said that unless new evidence emerged, indicating where Gary had been buried, there would be no further searches for his body. Four people by now have been charged with involvement in Gary's disappearance and assumed murder. That was Dan Alexander, Roy Bartup, Linda Rosenberg and Alan Topping, who by this point was serving a sentence in Her Majesty's Prison in Lewis on an unrelated matter. And when the four faced trial, the court was told that cop cars was essentially a cover-up for a drug-dealing business. Gary was in significant debt, little work was actually done on cars, as there was more money to be made from dealing drugs. The jury was told that Dan had put Gary's body in a car, the Renault Megane, in which the blood was found, and with Bartup's help, had drove out of the city to dump it. All continued to deny any involvement. However, it turned out that Linda had written to Bartup saying, and I quote, We have to get our story straight, and she convinced him to confess to the murder. There were also recordings at the court of conversations between Dan and Linda. Linda told Dan that Bartop had confessed his involvement, saying, Roy bragged about what he did all over London. He was staying with two girls. He was bragging about what he did, in front of friends as well. They've both given me statements. In a letter from Linda, under a false name, to Bartop, also in Winchester Prison, she said, I'm holding three statements here from people in London 
who you confess the murder to. I have a way of getting you out of it and onto others, but we have to get our stories straight. And later that month, prison officers found another letter to Bartup after a search for his cell, which suggested that Bartup had hit Gary with a paperweight in self-defence after breaking up a fight between Gary and Dan Alexander. In it, she also suggested that, in her words, scousers who were looking for Gary took him away. Linda later changed her story to say that the scousers were responsible for Gary's death. Alexander had a different account of events. He claimed that he watched helplessly as his business partner was attacked by another man over a drug-dealing debt. He said they attacked Gary with a hammer. When asked if he hurt Gary, he said, No, I didn't. Gary was my friend and my partner. There was no reason for me to do any harm to him. When questioned as to whether he thought Gary was dead, he replied, The way I saw the attack, I would assume he was dead, but I don't know. The scousers whacked him. The next moment, my friend is on the floor, bleeding to death. When he was asked how Gary's blood came to be all over the Renault McGann, he said that the blood had got into the boots because of contact with cleaning products he'd used to clear up the blood after the scousers had left with the body. It turned out that the police had actually visited cop cars in January, after a tip-off, and they'd found Roy Bartup behaving strangely. The tip-off talked of drugs and white powders, cutting blades and syringes. However, upon talking to Bartup at cop cars, the police did not find enough to warrant a more in-depth search. Had they done so, they may well have found Gary's body still there. And talking of Bartup, in court, he claimed he could not have helped bury Gary's body as that night he had travelled to Surrey to commit a burglary. He admitted being in the Renault McGann car where Gary's blood was later found. When asked why it took such a long time to get from Brighton to Guildford and back, Bartup said it was because they had stopped regularly along the way to look for places that were suitable to burgle, not because they were looking for places to dump a body. Asked if he was involved in getting rid of Gary's body, he said no, and when asked if Gary's body was in the car boot, he said, there was nothing in the boot. I did not think to look in the boot. Asked why he didn't stay local for his offences, and why he drove to Surrey, he said, that's my MO. I go into the country and do country mansions for antiques. It takes a long time for police to get there, and gives me time for a getaway. He explained how on January the 21st, 2011, there were no immediate great targets, so he ended up burgling a house near Guildford. While there, he stole two boxes of red wine, a brass figurine and a barometer, but he claimed he was disappointed because a beautiful wooden rocking horse he saw there would not fit in the car. And after they returned back, an antique dealer in Brighton bought the stolen goods for £300. Asked why he took such a poor price, he said, I knew I was getting ripped off. The dealer knew we were addicts because he was giving us a lecture about how drugs messed up your life whilst he was ripping us off. He told jurors that he first learned that Gary's disappearance was being treated as a murder on April the 7th when he read the front page of the local paper, the Argus, as he sat on a bus. The trial lasted seven weeks and in December 2012, the jury announced their verdicts on all four. 
Three of them, guilty. The jury hadn't believed the defendants. Dan Alexander was jailed for 30 years for murder and 8 years for perverting the course of justice, as well as picking up other terms for the robbing of the off-licences. His QC said, He misses Gary Hampson. He is 62. Any sentence is going to lead to the very real likelihood that he will spend the rest of his life in prison. He didn't regard himself as a dealer. Roy Bartop was jailed for eight years for conspiracy to pervert the course of justice and a further one year for possession of an offensive weapon. The jury believed that Alexander had brought him in to help get rid of any evidence and also Gary's body in return for the continuation of his drug dealing business. Alexander's partner, Linda Rosenberg, got three years in prison for perverting the course of justice. Her defence had said, when she gets talking about something, it's impossible to stop her. Her inability sometimes just to be quiet is what had led her to the position that she is in. It was agreed by judge and jury that Linda had tried to spread various rumours and muddy the waters by trying to place the blame on Bartup and away from Alexander. The judge told her the following. You knew that Mr Alexander was responsible for the murder. You decided therefore to assist by trying to place the blame on Mr Bartup. In the end you did not succeed, but it was not for want of trying on your part. And her QC had said, when she finishes the inevitable prison sentence, she will not only be penniless as a result of Daniel Alexander's behaviour, she'll be alone and penniless. A dreadful thing for a 68-year-old woman to have to face at this stage of her life. Alan Topping was found not guilty of conspiring to pervert the course of justice, having been accused of assisting the others in disposing of the body. It was the first time that Sussex police had secured a murder conviction where the body of the victim was not found. Speaking after the verdict in her victim impact statement, Gary's daughter said, My one wish is to find him and simply say goodbye. In March 2014, Alexander went to the Court of Appeal in order to get his convictions involving Gary quashed. He failed. And none of the accused have yet said where Gary's body is. In the subsequent years, many a body or remains have been found and the family's hopes have been raised. But as I record this in the middle of September 2020, None have been confirmed to be Gary's. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Once more I find it a very strange story and struggle to see why murder was the choice taken by Dan Alexander. Of course it's hard to know the full story but there is a strong argument that to actually kill Gary was unnecessary to achieve his aims. But then again, Alexander seems unlikely to be the sort of man who would analyse the situation before making a logical judgement. As for Linda Rosenberg, an interesting character, it's hard not to have sympathy for her, but as the jury found, she clearly perverted the course of justice. I know that some will have no sympathy for Gary due to the abject misery dealing in drugs causes to others. I get that. But even if you don't have any sympathy for Gary, it is hard for his daughter, friends and family not to have some closure after finding the body. I hope that his remains will be found, as with all those other people in the UK whose bodies have never been recovered, 
so that the family can at least gain some closure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group, which has just this week passed 40,000 members. And to support the show, please do head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime, where for a pound a month, you can access all sorts of behind-the-scenes information. It's fun, there's no commitment, so please join 217 others and take a look. That is patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. So that's all from me for today. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to my podcast. And until we speak again next week, please take it easy. And despite all the others, stay classy. Cheerio.